Hello, good morning everyone. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Ellie, for those of you I don't know, I'm part of our North Central gathering here. And it's great to be here this morning as we continue um, in our four-week mini-series called Reboot. So looking at the core values and vision of our church. And last week, Matt opened the series and referred to these three significant words. People might remember them. Significant words, significant values. We had up, which is following Jesus, in kind of building community and out making disciples. So up, in and out. And today we're looking at the first of these values. So that's up, following Jesus. And many of us here this morning, I would probably call ourselves followers of Jesus. Some of us might not. But if you get up close and personal in the life of a follower of Jesus, you will see that it is not easy to remain a passionate follower of Jesus through all the highs and lows and pressures of life. It can be really tough to stay focused on Jesus and keep him at the center. You know, we need all the help we can get to do that. And today's talk is an opportunity for us. I guess an invitation for us to, again, look to the Word of God for help. You know, I need that help. Followers of Jesus need help to stay focused and devoted to him. And today's Bible passage, we are going to get a glimpse into the lives of some followers of Jesus from long ago, some of the very first followers of Jesus who are often referred to as kind of the early church, kind of the first Christians who started gathering together as church. And we're going to be reading about one particular follower of Jesus, Peter, who I imagine most of us will have heard of in some way, shape or form. And before we read the passage, I just wanted us to pause for a minute and step back just to consider this guy, Peter's story. Um, so for those of you who enjoy biographies or are particularly looking forward to Prince Harry's upcoming biography, let me just indulge you for a moment with a small part of Peter's biography. Because we need to, to fully appreciate what this passage is teaching us. We need to understand some things about him first. So Peter, along with his kind of fisherman friend John, is basically the leader of the early church. You know, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, um, that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. So that's something we get about Peter. He was unschooled, so he was uneducated. It's probably quite likely he was also illiterate, so he couldn't read or write. Um, and he was ordinary, which puts me at great ease because in most contexts of life, I feel like pretty ordinary. Um, he is a guy from a small town in Galilee. He doesn't have much worldly knowledge outside of his area, above his kind of simple day-to-day -day life as a fisherman. You know, he's not super clever. He doesn't stand out for any particular reason, you know, an achievement or his CV or any special gifting or exceptional wisdom or even, to be honest, leadership qualities at this stage of his life. Um, and we read earlier in the Bible, in the Gospels, that Peter had been chosen by Jesus to be one of his 12 disciples. So this is his like inner circle. Um, these are the people who walked and talked with Jesus on this earth. And Peter made a choice to follow Jesus, to center his life around Jesus. He'd watched him and learned from him. He'd seen his power, his glory, his character. He'd firsthand experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus. Because it was only about six weeks earlier that Peter had betrayed his dear friend Jesus. And beyond that, had just denied even knowing of him. 
And yet he had Jesus show him true forgiveness. So even as a close follower of Jesus, a friend of Jesus, this is a man who shows weakness, who shows mistakes. And in at the earlier chapter, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, that even despite of Peter being one of his inner, Jesus' inner circles, he still doesn't really fully understand the mission of God. So this is verse 6 in Acts chapter 1. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, so this is obviously to Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's kind of just this glimpse for us that he still doesn't fully get the mission of God. He was definitely not perfect and he definitely didn't do everything right. And just the last thing I just want us to bear in mind as we think about Peter's story was that he had to reconcile the issue in his own story of why bad things happen to good people. Even perfect people, even his dear friend Jesus, you know, he wouldn't have had all his questions answered. Peter would have seen some people healed by Jesus and others not. He would have seen people suffering up close. Jesus is suffering and killing up close. And later in the book of Acts, we know that Peter's friend James also got executed. Peter was put in prison. You know, this was a man who, who knew suffering. And there is something of hope that the Bible shows us about Peter's story before we read this passage. And that is that down the line, 30 years later, Peter actually writes another book of the Bible called One Peter. And Peter actually remained faithful and committed to Jesus for the whole of his course of life on earth. And what we learn from Peter's story and what we can get about our stories is that being a passionate follower of Jesus isn't about having this perfect life or complete understanding or avoiding suffering, mistakes or hardship. It's not about knowing everything about God. And actually those things don't have to stop us following Jesus passionately or even get in the way of us following him wholeheartedly. But instead they can become part of our story like they became part of Peter's story. And those things can be used by God to bring glory to him. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to read this passage. And then I'm just going to pull out two things from the passage. So let me just pray for us. Yeah, Father, as we have just started hearing and thinking about the story of this man, Peter, a follower of you, passionate for you, yet a life ridden with hardship and um, insecurity and mistakes, God. As we come to you with those things, no doubt, part of our stories as well, God. We just say, Lord, we want to see you this morning. Holy Spirit, we want to see Jesus this morning. Would you help us see Jesus this morning? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from Acts 2. So this is verses 22 to 41. Acts 2, 22 to 41. So fellow Israelites, Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me 
because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, And the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. (laughs) Um, So this sermon, this teaching that Peter is giving this follows immediately after Pentecost So when the Holy Spirit came and filled his kind of 120 initial followers of Jesus with power, and that included Peter. And as we've seen, Peter is effectively teaching and proclaiming about Jesus. What he himself witnessed, what he himself witnessed happened to Jesus and things Jesus did. He is that key witness in the life of Jesus. And in verse 36, he declares who he truly believed Jesus of Nazareth was. I don't know if you caught it. He declared Jesus as both Lord and Messiah. He is declaring Jesus. And this passage, the first point I just wanted to pull from it is that Peter isn't ultimately preaching like a formula, but he's just introducing us to the story and person of Jesus. He's presenting Jesus to us. And To be a passionate follower of Jesus, we need to know Jesus for who he really is. We need to encounter Jesus. We need to seek him and intimacy with him. It comes down to that relationship with him, not a formula for life. And I don't know about you, 
And we're about to just hear from Nick and Rianne's story. Uh, But I need to be presented with Jesus. I need constantly to be presented with Jesus. I need to be told about him. I I need Jesus to be spoken about. I need to think about him. I need to be presented with Jesus. Peter didn't introduce us to a formula. He introduced us to the person and story of Jesus. And I just want you to just bear that in mind as I invite Nick and Rihanna up. And Nick and Rihanna there. As they're going to share some of their story um, about following this person, Jesus. I'm Rianne. I'm a community nurse and a big part of my journey with Jesus has been sort of how fear of rejection can sort of shape a lot of my thoughts and choices. Um, my anxious thoughts can quickly get carried away with the fear, the fear of being sort of pushed away because I'm weird or I've done something wrong to offend them. Um, and I find seeing Jesus hanging out with the rejects of society shows me that he values and he treasures me. He wants to spend time with me and that being in his kingdom means that I'm always in. Um, and that sort of transforms me as I sort of mull over that now. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm a Christian school worker with Cross Project in Wakefield. And uh, my journey with Jesus is really one from uh, living for pleasure, uh, trying to get as much enjoyment out of life, through to living with the joy of the Lord being my strength and living for him. Uh, It's a journey, and it's a journey I'm still on. Uh, And I I guess uh, on a practical level, what that looks like each day is not having, is it fun, as the sole evaluative criteria of what I'm doing. It's about looking for, is this beneficial? Does this bring glory to God? Uh, It's about doing things even if they're unpleasant. So, for example, having uh, difficult conversations at work. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Outside of that, uh, well, I think for Rianne and I, following Jesus looks like having jobs which match with the personalities and the giftings that God has given us. Uh, It looks like hospitality. We love having people over, and um, yeah, we've had numerous lodges, so we love inviting people into our home. And uh, we also have a real passion for discipleship, so that looks like men's groups for me, uh, both of us meeting one-to-one with people, and also doing uh, marriage prep as well. And and following Jesus means that we prioritize that even when time is short. Um, So we learned a while back that left to our own devices, we're not very good at making babies. In fact, we're pretty appalling at it. Um, In 2018, after four years of waiting for a pregnancy, the pain of not having a child really began to take its toll on me, especially. In the Old Testament, Rachel and Jacob struggle to conceive, and at one point, Rachel turns to Jacob and says, give me a child or I'm going to die. Before infertility, I thought that was a very entitled thing of her to say, but in the midst of it, I totally got it. I thought the prospect of me never having a child was going to kill me. For a number of years, I asked God how he could say that he loved me, yet allow us to lose so much? How could he be too wise to make mistakes when I was in so much emotional pain? I was once talking to a friend about how desperately I wanted to be pregnant, and she turned to me very gently and said, Rianne, you are dealing with the loss of something so huge, but this is not about the baby. 
It's about whether you're going to trust God, knowing you might not get the outcome you want. If this had been any old friend, and I love all my friends, (laughs) if they told me this, I might have punched them. (laughs) But because she was steps ahead of me on her journey with grief, I had to listen, take it on board. Nick and I soon learned that grief came in waves, one minute sort of managing the day-to-day with the childless life, and the next day just a massive wave would smack us in the face with another pregnancy announcement. Let's just face it, we're a very, very fertile gathering. (laughs) Um, So many emotions from anger to sadness to just total numbness showed themselves, and it was so easy just to shut down from God. We learned that lament, so that's crying out to God in our pain and seeking his presence, was just such an important way to navigate our way through all the complexities of what we were going through. It was the antidote to our bitterness. If I didn't pour out all these emotions towards God, I'd be inflicting them on on everybody else. The bitterness would just be all over the place. Following and obeying Jesus for me meant that I needed to believe his presence was enough in the midst of our grief. His control was enough in all the chaos. Another area where uh, following Jesus in this was uh, having to make sure that actually our convictions remained at the centre of our quest for a family. Now, I appreciate that uh, Christians land in different places with when life begins and with medical intervention. And we prayerfully had our convictions of, of what we thought of this. And the real challenge for us was in following Jesus, making sure that those convictions didn't go out the window as we tried to have a family. Uh, We desperately wanted to have a baby, but we wanted to make sure that we didn't leave our faith uh, and our convictions aside. It's quite interesting, in infertility land, very often and understandably, people throw everything this goal of getting a baby. And while we desperately wanted a family, we didn't want that to be us. We, we didn't want our convictions or all our time and energy to be shaped around that kind of quest to have a family. Um, a few years ago, I watched an interview with a, a couple on YouTube. They were infertile. They were speaking in their church. And at the end of the the interview they just basically wheeled out this baby the church clapped everybody whooped and that was sort of the end of the interview and we could easily do the same god has graciously given us the baby we prayed for and we celebrate we're just overwhelmed with joy every day to have her Um, but i can't help thinking had the church missed the point of that interview if the baby hadn't come would jesus presence still be enough for that couple It's really easy for us to stand here and say yes now. Um, But I think we probably would have said, yeah. We probably would have taken our loss to the grave, but yes, we we believe he would have been enough. Thank you. Yeah, I mean... I mean, my clapping, and I'm sure I can speak for others in the room, is just to say thank you for the courage it takes to share a glimmer into that story. So thank you for being willing um, to do that. Um, And as Nick and Rianne said, you know, following Jesus in the highs and the lows, 
you know, the joys and the losses. Um, it is tough. And for me, just thinking very practically for a minute, you know, how do we do this? So I'm uh, at the moment, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I've got four young children. And like, what does that look like? You know, kids bring many highs and many lows. <laughs> you know, what does that look like for me to stay focused on Jesus? And we believe here at Mosaic Church that the Bible teaches that following Jesus involves two key values. And actually, Nick and Rianne have kind of referred to this really. And the first is closeness to Jesus. So when I talk about closeness to Jesus, I'm talking about like intimacy and worship and keeping him at the center. So that first value, closeness to Jesus. And secondly, hearing and obeying Jesus. So listening and then doing what Jesus asks us. And I just wanted to mention one real practical thing for me. Um, and I've kind of called it, I'm learning the art of crying out to God. <laughs> is how I can describe it. Um, and what I mean by that, I don't necessarily literally mean crying, uh, although it can involve that. And I know uh, Nick and Rianne, they just mentioned kind of crying out and lament. So crying out with loss and grief, and it can also involve that. And that has definitely been part of my journey of learning to cry out in my loss and grief. But for me, I've just had to learn this art of just like crying out to God. So coming to God with like the innermost vulnerable feelings and thoughts and desires and hopes and needs, like bringing them honestly before him. And I find that as I'm learning the art of doing that, as I'm learning to cry out to God in like the fullest sense of that word, it is me basically saying to God, I believe you for who you say you are. As Peter proclaimed, you are Lord and Messiah. And if you are my Lord and my Messiah, I'm going to cry out to you. If you are my Lord and my Messiah, I am going to learn to cry out to you. And the example of how this looked for me, two short examples is uh, last year, um, like very sadly, one of um, my immediate family members nearly died. And it was, you know, we just weren't sure if they were going to pull through. They were in hospital for sort of three months. And it was just quite a journey of just generally not knowing what the outcome was going to be. Again, a bit similar to Nick and Rianne's story. Like, we just didn't know if they would make it through. And with, I guess, that kind of near death, as it were, and carrying that, and then the recovery journey after that, that was probably one of the triggers that forced me a bit deeper in this journey of learning the art of crying out to God. Because I had to come to God with my regrets in that relationship. I had to come to God with my fears of what life would look like if that person wasn't around and so forth. So that was like a trigger point for me, learning this art of crying out with the fullest sense of the word, like the questions and the thoughts and the feelings and the uncertainties. The other element of this, like learning that oh, of crying out, that honesty, raw honesty before God, presenting that before God is just in the normal day-to-day -day life as a parent where 98.2% of the time, I have no idea what to do. And that involves me in the moment crying out to God, saying, God, I don't know what to do. And like that is as practical and raw and real as it gets, you know, um, Peter didn't have all the answers. I certainly don't have all the answers. I can be very clear about that. So that's another element of my learning. In the, just in the day-to-dayness, I'm just crying out to God, saying, like, I just don't know what to do. Um, but I am treating him as my Lord and Messiah. And that means he is the bedrock of my life, the foundation of my life. And if he is the bedrock, I'm going to ask him what to do. 
So that's just very practically. So there's two values. We've got closeness to Jesus and hearing and obeying Jesus. And that all comes from the fact that Peter wasn't preaching a formula. He was presenting to us Jesus. And then the second and final thing I just want to pull out from this passage is that the gospel that Peter was proclaiming in this passage, the gospel is good news always. And I think most of us in the room will know that gospel means good news. But I just want to say it really clearly. We believe the Bible teaches that the gospel is good news always. In any given week or month, life can be full of a very unpredictable mix of good news, bad news, disappointing news, heartwarming news, exciting news, confusing news, anxiety-provoking news. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've had some extremely heartwarming news. And we've also had some really tragic news of a death of a family member. You know, that's just in a week. And we just don't quite know what's around the the corner in terms of the news we're going to receive. But the Bible teaches us that the gospel is always good news. And last week, while we were on FaceTime um, with my parents-in-law who live overseas, um, our four-year-old came up to the screen and kind of just joined in the conversation. And she just had this big smile on her face. Uh, looked incredibly excited. I would describe a glimmer of mischief in her eyes. Um, and she just came up and proclaimed to her grandparents, like, guys, this is like really exciting. I've got some really good news to show you. And obviously at this point, I'm like rapidly processing what on earth could be so boldly declared by a four-year-old to be such great news. Um, and then I enter our kitchen and lo and behold, the entire bottle of blackcurrant squash has been poured all over our new kitchen floor. And I can only describe as being paddled in by other unnamed children in our household. And I mean, to be honest, like it's really not the worst news in the world. You know, it really isn't. But I feel like describing it as good news, even for like the optimists amongst us, it's just like a little bit of a stretch, you know, just a little bit. And like, let me assure you, like the good news of Jesus, the gospel is actually good news. It is actually good news. Like Peter is proclaiming the good news. And I just want to bring up the passage just from the message. This is just a couple of verses from the passage I read earlier. It's a message translation of it. And this is what Peter is proclaiming as good news. That is always good news. So from the message, verse 23 to 24, this Jesus following the deliberate and well thought out plan of God was betrayed by men who took the law in their own hands and was handed over to you. And you pinned him to a cross and killed him. But God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. And on in verse 33, he was then raised to the heights at the right hand of God and receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he poured out the spirit he had just received. Like Peter is preaching the story of Jesus' resurrection He died, but he was raised to life. And the Holy Spirit has just been poured out. Like, we have the offer of salvation. Like, this is good news. And just like it did to Peter's heart, the gospel can thrill our hearts and capture our attention. Just like that mischievous act of fun captured the attention of my four-year-old's fun-loving little heart. 
You know, the good news is actually good news always. And whether we feel like life has been ridden with good or bad news, we all need, no matter what, to keep focused on the good news of Jesus. And in my experience, we can struggle to stay on track and handle both the great and the awful things in life when we lose sight of him, when we lose sight of his good news. Keeping Jesus at the center of our lives, it's not like an added optional luxury to our lives. It is the bedrock and the foundation to our life on earth. As the early church knew, and as Peter knew so well. So let me just summarize what we've shared this morning. We've learned that Peter's story (laughs) didn't get in the way of him following Jesus. It became part of his story, and it actually revealed the glory of God, and it brought glory to God, and it brings glory. Our stories bring glory to God. And we've learned how Peter isn't ultimately like teaching a formula to get through life. He's introducing us to the person and story of Jesus. And that is what we need today. We need to be presented and introduced to Jesus, whether that is for the first time or whether that is for the hundredth time. And secondly and finally, the gospel is good news always. It is good news always. So I'm just going to pray for us and then I'm just going to hand back to Matt. Yeah, Jesus, I want to thank you uh, for your word. God, I want to thank you for the gospel, the good news that Peter is proclaiming, that Jesus died and was raised to life again and poured out his spirit so that we could know salvation, so that we could have a friendship with God, we could be intimate with God. Father, I want to thank you that the Holy Spirit today can present Jesus to us, that we can get a greater glimpse into Jesus and who he is. God, I want to thank you that the gospel, the good news, is good news always.